Your springs? Oh, come on. Maybe you, maybe you need a Christian. Do you need a Christian greeting? I'll say praise the Lord. You say praise the Lord back. Praise the Lord. Oh, there you are. Good. Good to see all of you. We usually jump right into the word of God and start reading and then uh, get to stories and analogies. But I thought this morning I'll start off with a story, really more of an analogy, and then it'll kind of preface a very challenging scripture for us today through our series. We're in a series on 1 John. We're at 1 John chapter 3, and he's got a pretty challenging passage of scripture. And so I'll preface it with an analogy, okay? So I am a caver. Maybe not what some of you were thinking I was about to say, but I go caving. And I know some of you are probably like, you you do what? You crawl into a cave? Some of you are claustrophobic in an elevator, and you're wondering why would a person willingly go caving? And what if the headlight goes off? What if the cave collapses? People get lost. Are you insane? Why can't my pastor be a normal pastor and go golfing or something? I go caving. It's one of the hobbies I do. And to be a caver, guess this is not a trick question. To be a caver, you have to go Caving, good job. Yeah, that wasn't a trick question. To be a caver, you have to go caving. I'm part of a caving club. I'm a part of the caving culture. If you're a part of the caving culture, you speak the language of other cavers. You know what salagtites and salagmites are. You know what a sump is. That's when like a passage fills with water, very dangerous. You know what SRT is, single rope technique to get to like another level in a cave. If you're a real caver that goes caving, you don't use the word spelunking. It's one of the things that if you're like, if someone's like, oh, I know spelunking. No, you don't because cavers call it caving. Spelunking is a British term. So I just taught you something. If you're ever talking to a caver, don't use the S word. We don't like spelunking unless you're in Britain. I guess it's okay there. But cavers, what do cavers do? Cavers go I'm not tricking you. This is the, the, the real question. Cavers go caving. So to be a part of the group, the caving group, it's called a grotto that I'm in, uh, to guide people. There's caves and there's actually a vast caving system in, in Manitou to bring people, to guide people to those caves like I do. So if anybody ever wants to go caving, let me know. I will put you on a very short list of people that want to go caving. But I do have a list. And when the caving season returns in the fall, I will probably call you or email you and we'll set up trips. It's quite fun because I like to go caving because I'm a caver. So hopefully this is going somewhere and I'll explain in just a minute where it's going. Um, but uh, to be a caver in this club, this garado that I'm in, you have to have a minimum every year of three trips. If you don't have your three trips, you're kind of removed from the list of guides and someone else who wants to be a caver and lead trips can then be a caver. So even if you recognize yourself as a caver, even if you know some of the vocabulary of, of being a caver, even if you know the culture of being a caver, if you don't go caving, are you a caver? Uh, no, not, well, at least not in this, the grotto that I'm in. Like you have to go caving to be a caver because cavers go caving. Where am I going with all of this? Well, John is answering a question that maybe some of you have had in your life and in your walk with God. Can you be a follower of Jesus and not follow Jesus? Everyone say, no, like that. No, you, to be a follower of Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. To be a caver, you need to go 
behaving. It's, it just kind of comes out of it. It's what you do and you are what you do. And John is making this correlation between being and believing and then the good fruit of belief coming up out of it. And I, I warn you, today's sermon, it's going to be a little challenging. We're going to come back. There's, there's two sides of, of, of truth. Uh, there's one truth, but sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, the grace and the works, like how does this work together? I hope to explain some of this today. We're going to be reading in 1 John chapter 3, and the title is going to come right out of me listening for this title as we read along. The title for today's sermon is No One Who Lives in Him Keeps on sinning. No one who lives in, in God, in him, keeps on sinning. So would you stand with me as we read this pretty challenging word for us as a church and as a group of Christians, as people maybe wondering what, what it is that Christians believe? Well, here is part of it. Here's a picture, a pretty challenging picture of what it means to be a Christian. Listen to these words. Let them soak into you. Open your hearts Open your minds as we read from the word of God this morning. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 4. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, John is going to give us a definition of sin. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take our sins away. Why did he appear? So that he might take our sins away. And in him is no sin. Verse 6, this is the title of this sermon. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. And I'll, I'll go back to this point about a seed and a tree and fruit in just a moment, but I'll reread that. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we stand here, we know you, Christ, are in our midst. And Lord, we look at this challenging word about our own lives. Maybe some of us today will, will have a righteous conviction in our lives and, and want to set our lives straight only because of you and your power inside of us. Lord, we pray that our hearts, our minds would be open to you through this word of God that's being taught and preached and read. Lord, empower us to follow you. Lord, we desire to follow you. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people at New Life Manitou shouted, Amen. 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 All right, you may be seated. Let's uh, jump 
right in to the sermon today. And we'll start off with point number one. All of these points are gonna be right out of the passage I just read. Point one is this, the definition of sin that John gives us is sin is lawlessness. There's a lot of definitions for sin, uh, immorality, to use a big church word, transgressions uh, against a divine God. Maybe you've heard this before, but the Greek word for sin, our armatia, is, is kind of borrowed from an archery term. So if an archer has a bow and an arrow and he pulls back the bow and he's holding it and breathing right and trying to hold steady, but then misses the whole target altogether, that kind of word is like, well, he missed the mark. And that, that word is, well, he, he sinned. He, he tried, but he failed maybe horribly. He missed the mark. He, uh, someone who is engaged in immorality uh, is going against the law that God has set up. Now, there's an interesting idea here that John is saying, well, sin is lawlessness. God, in his morality and him making for us moral rules, when we break those moral rules, well, that is sin. In fact, there's a really good argument. This is kind of a side note uh, about an author, uh, C.S. Lewis. Maybe a lot of you know the Chronicles of Narnia series, right? How many of you have read some of his Christian books? Maybe not just the Narnia books, but the uh, Christian books. Probably one of the best books, in, in my opinion, as, as a pastor, someone who's been a Christian for a long time, is this book called Mere Christianity. Have you read this book? Raise your hand. I'll just hold them high. Look at all the hands. A lot of people have read this book. I, I'm going to assign it to you as a required reading if you're a Christian. Get this book. You'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised on the depth of this book. It begins chapter one. C.S. Lewis proposes an argument for the existence of God based on moral law that's in humans. Humans just kind of, that we point to a standard. He gives this example, if you're on a train, you got all your stuff, you stand up, you go to the bathroom, you come back, someone's in your seat. You could say, hey, that's my seat. I was there first. The idea of, of, of pointing at least to some sort of standard, we all have at least the concept as humans that there is a standard. C.S. Lewis says, if you have an orange and you share some of your orange with a friend, and then a little while later, your friend pulls out an orange and you say, hey, can I have a piece of your orange? And then they say, no, you'd say, well, hey, I gave you some of my orange. You give me some of your orange. We're at least pointing to a standard. And C.S. Lewis says, well, if there's a standard, if there's a rule, if there's a moral law outside of humans that all humans have, well, there, there must be a moral law giver. And I don't know that I just did justice to that first chapter of Mere Christianity, but it's beautifully posed in this book uh, by C.S. Lewis that law and a lawgiver go hand in hand. God has given us good laws that actually bring us back to him. And when we break them, we are going against the law and sin is lawlessness. You might call sin, I don't know, going to Egypt. You might call sin cutting corners. You might call sin getting needs met. You might call sin blowing off steam. You might call sin and talk about it as, oh, the ends will justify the means. But what I want to say is the reason why we sin is there's probably some misplaced desire in your life that you want shortcutted to fill that desire. Let me explain. So I have a list of sins here. I'm going to say the sin, and then I'm going to say, well, this is probably the underlying desire. And then I'm going to say, well, but God is truly able to fill that underlying desire. 
So you, you understand what we're about to do? So here's a sin. Here's the example. Uh, sin of anger, outburst of rage. You probably have an underlying desire for control. And, and things are out of control. People blow up and, and rage. But who is God? Well, isn't the God that we believe in, isn't he the one who's actually in control? It's a misplaced desire. Here's another sin. Someone uh, abusing uh, substances. Oftentimes people uh, abuse substances because they want an escape from this life. So here's the sin. The, the, the true desire that someone has is maybe to escape. Well, what does God do? Well, God is the ultimate one. He, his kingdom is not of this world. Talk about, I don't even know if escape is the right word, but he can bring you to another kingdom. God can fulfill that desire. Or the sin of coveting and greed and wanting and consuming. Well, that's, that's the desire there is to have. Don't you know that God is the one who can truly give? What about the, the sin of maybe sleeping around? Maybe the, the, the desire that's underneath that is um, to, be, to belong, to feel love. Well, don't we know that God is truly the one that can fulfill that love? God is love, as, as John says in this book of 1 John. What about uh, maybe coarse jesting or just potty mouth language? And I think sometimes the underlying, like why people talk like that is to fit in. Well, don't you know that you belong to God and God can ultimately fulfill that desire? What about the sin? I, you got to look getting really quiet right now. Am I naming some of your sins? Are you, are you okay? Now, this is just hypothetical, all right? Uh, two more. The, the sin of theft. You're stealing things. Well, maybe it's because the, the underlying desire is provision. You need provision. Well, don't you know that God can ultimately fill and fulfill that need for provision? Last one. What about uh, along with theft, maybe just bad business practices to get ahead and you want your business to succeed or you want to succeed at work or make more money. Maybe that underlying desire is status. You want status. Well, don't you know that God is the one who calls you his son or his daughter? You're a child of God. You have that status. So to review here and come back around, sin is lawlessness. God gives us his rules and his laws to actually truly fulfill the desires of our heart. Some say, uh, you know, do this and God will fulfill the desires of your heart. Follow him and God will fulfill the desires of your heart. Point two is this. Once again, if you're taking notes, write this down because this is another direct quote out of the scripture. In fact, it's the title that I already gave you. Point two is this. No one who was born of God will continue to sin. I'll read it again. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. If you have God inside of you and you are following him, you will love him and his ways and your, your life will be removed from the, the, the life you were in. I don't know that the American church does a good job preaching this. I think uh, the message is pretty short. Stop sinning. You know, put that on the church marquee. Stop sinning, or even better, word it like this. The one, this is what, this, don't get mad at me. This is what John says. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Put that on a church marquee. Like, I, this, the message is, is maybe a little missing from uh, the, the American church. But I wanna say this, and we'll, we'll get to, I will preach a message of grace, and we will come to the Lord's table, and we will learn and know that God is filling us from the inside out, and from the inside out, our desire to sin. We, will, like, we, we wanna follow God. We don't wanna follow the life of sin. What if we're outside after, 
And uh, we have coffee outside after. So there's like a little group of people hanging out. And someone comes from Manitou Ave down the little hill. And they go across the bridge. And they're, 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 they're well-dressed. They look okay. And they come up to us and say, I just got hit up on Manitou Ave by a bus. Like it hit me and ran me over. And, and here I am. We would all kind of look at this person like, uh, really, bro? Like, you, you don't look like someone who was just hit. You don't even have dirt on you. You don't have a cut. You don't have a bruise. Your, your clothes look fine. You're saying you were hit by a bus and run over, and you just walk down here, and you're telling us the story. Would anybody believe him? Like, I don't think I would. Why? Because getting hit by the bus, getting hit by a bus going 45 would change you. It would change you forever. If you survived, it would change you forever. Being hit by the love and grace of God will change you forever. You don't come down from Manitou Have and say, oh, I just believe in Jesus now. And then well, what's changed? Things will immediately, maybe you've experienced this in your life where your life has been radically changed. I know I have. I've experienced that in my life. From the inside out, a life change because I put my faith and hope in Jesus. Let me give you, because we're kind of talking about sin. We're talking about temptation. Let me give you a sermon illustration. I used to work for, uh, at, at the, the New Life North. Uh, some of you are visiting from New Life North, and that's great to have you. Uh, I used to be on staff at New Life North with the college and 20-somethings ministry. Does anybody remember the mill when it was around? A couple hands, okay. I, uh, the guy who led that for many years was Aaron Stern. He's now planted a church in Fort Collins. A wonderful boss, a wonderful pastor, an incredible speaker who really had uh, a gift with sermon illustrations. So he'd have uh, an idea that he wanted to preach and said, how can I illustrate this with some physical object or something? And being the associate pastor, I was often called upon to like build or make these illustrations. One time he said, I have this illustration where Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. So he said, Joe, can you get a door and build a frame and get a, like a door on the stage? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. It's a cool challenge. So I got a door, built a frame, put it on the stage. And he had this wonderful sermon illustration of God knocking on the door. Who is it? God. And he's like, well, can you wait? Can you come back a little later? He had this whole illustration of like finally getting up and opening the door and then just seeing the face of love and realizing, oh, had I, I would have wish I would have opened the door sooner. And it was just this beautiful analogy of going back and forth. He's, he was a master craftsman at sermon illustrations. The best sermon illustration that I've ever seen as far as sermon illustrations go was this illustration that I got to build of a shiny red button. Have you heard temptation or sin referred to like this? Like, don't push the shiny red button. You know what I'm talking about? And so I had, he's like, can you build a box? And so we built this box out of cardboard and wood about maybe this big and it had a big, nice, shiny red button on it. I remember the day of, he's like, oh, what if the, what if the button lit up? And I was like, oh yeah, we could do that. And so I, I put a light in there and the, the wire ran back to the tech booth and from the tech booth, I could turn it on and turn it off. And he was talking about temptation, how we're tempted to push 
the shiny red button. And he's looking at it and gazing at this shiny red button and going on and on. And then he's talking to the audience and saying, you know, we shouldn't push it, but, but we could just look at it and maybe we could touch it. And then I, from the tech booth, like lit it up and the whole, con- the whole congregation was like, whoa, it's lighting up. And then he looked and I turned it off and then he looked back and he's like, did it light up? Did it just light up? And he looked again and then it started glowing. And he's like, oh, wow, a shiny red button. I'm not gonna push it, but maybe I'll just touch it. Just, I'm not gonna push it. Who's, I'm not gonna push it. I'm just gonna touch it. And then he, he touches it and says, ooh, that feels so good. It's warm. It's wonderful. I, I, I wanna, we're not supposed to push it, but, but we're just gonna hang out. And maybe I'll get some other buddies and we'll come around and we'll look at it. And maybe some of us will touch it and talk about how nice it is. And maybe I'll, this, this might sound weird, but maybe I'll taste it. And he goes over and he just, it was just kind of gross, but he licks the red button and he's like, oh, wow, my mouth is just full of this wonderful flat mouth. I didn't push it. We're not supposed to push it. I'm not going to push it. But we're all just looking at it and he's going on and on. He's like, that's, it's kind of a jokey, funny illustration, but I wonder if there's many of us in here that are like, yeah, that's my Tuesday. Like that's temptation. That's what I'm going through day in and day out, spending all my time, not pushing it, but just looking at it and talking about how I'm not gonna push it and then talking about how nice it looks and how smooth it is and how wonderful it was to taste that one time. And then just like, I'm not gonna push it though. And he said, like, that's, a, like Christian life shouldn't be that. Our Christian life should be turning our back on that button and facing the cross in Jesus and putting all our attention, all our focus on him. And from the inside out, I believe the desires of our heart will change to follow God. And I think uh, hopefully with this illustration, we could realize and see why John could say something so bold is that those who know him won't continue to sin any longer. And a side note here, because I'm saying this about temptation and it's a silly illustration, but some of us are like, yeah, that's what addiction looks like. That's what sin looks like. We have uh, New Life Manitou, where we're at now, is one of eight congregations and our main congregation, kind of our central operations, New Life North that I mentioned already. We have on Thursday night, Celebrate Recovery which is a 12-step program. It's a Christian-based program where people walk through, uh, talk about addictions, and get counseling and mentoring, and it's all for free. And so if that's that's anybody in here, look into that, that we have an incredible program at our church. Temptation and sin is a very real, present part of the Christian walk. And yet John, the other side of that is John says, well, if you're in him, you won't continue to sin. And so Let's talk about this balance. Uh, Point number three is this. Once again, a direct quote right out of scripture. He appeared, talking about Jesus. He appeared and he didn't appear like a ghost. He came fully to this world as a human, fully God, fully one of us. He appeared so that he might take away our sins. Why did he appear? Why did he come? What's the cross all about? What's church all about? We believe and we worship the one who has come to take away our sins. And I'm looking around and wondering if a lot of you in here aren't just like, okay, so I got to do better. I got to do my behavior modification. I got to be a good boy. I got to be a good girl. The pastor's up there, you know, shaking his finger at me. The pastor's up there slapping my wrist. No, 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 no. Hear this part. 
Christ came. He appeared so that he, who's the one that takes away the sin? Christ. Christ. He's the one who takes away the sin. Verse 5, I'll read it for you. The whole thing here, uh, 1 John 3, 5 says, but you know that he appeared so you might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. That's how he is able to. uh, Think about explaining the message of the cross. Like, what's what's the cross? That's where Jesus died. Well, what's the deal with that? Well, he died on the cross. He was without sin so that his death might cover and take away our sin. Amen? We put our faith in that. And so I think about our lives as we struggle, as we are tempted, and trying to rationalize, okay, well, well, how does that work? If John says, if you're in Christ, you will no longer sin. What about the temptation that some of us feel daily or hourly or monthly? Or like, how, how does that work? Like, are, are we not supposed to be tempted? Like, are we supposed to be above it all? Are we just supposed to work harder and grit our teeth? Are we just, is Christianity really just all about behavior modification? We'd say, no, well, Christianity is all about Christ in us and the power of God inside of us, changing us from the inside out. I, I mentioned that verse. It says that he, uh, maybe I'll read it for us. It talks about the, the seed that was planted in us. It says this, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. If God's seed is in you, well, then you, what, what do seeds do? Seeds grow and they become, well, in the instance of an apple tree, apple trees, what do they produce? Not a trick question. What do apple trees produce? Apples, fruit. Yeah, that's what they do. And I don't know what a tree is thinking, but I assume it's not like, oh, I gotta work harder. This is so hard. I hope, I just hope something good comes out. I imagine, just because, I, I don't know, I studied plants one time in college, uh, that a tree just naturally produces fruit. An apple tree just naturally produces apples. It's the seed, God's seed in us and out of our lives. We just look differently. We're different than the world. We're different after Christ comes into us and the seed of Christ's grace is inside of us. We had an apple tree at our house. In, we used to live in downtown Manitou. And uh, does anybody have an apple tree? Nobody? A couple, one hand? Two? Okay, a couple of people have an apple tree. We had an apple tree. It was lovely in the early spring. The blossoms are like light pink. It smells good. Uh, by the fall, there's big apples. Usually around Labor Day, we're getting all kinds of apples. The kids are eating them. We're making pies. Uh, it's just great to have an apple tree. But a couple years ago, you might remember there was a big hailstorm years ago. In the early spring, and right when the, all the blossoms were on the a- apple tree, and the hailstorm knocked every single blossom off the tree. So that fall, there was zero apples. Like it was a season where, because of the hailstorm, the apple tree produced no apples. And in this analogy, is the apple, st- apple tree still an apple tree? Well, yeah, it's, it's still an apple tree. And you know what is crazy that happened the year after? So the year after, there wasn't an early hailstorm. We didn't just get like apples that year. We didn't just get double apples. We got more than double apples the year after that. Why? Well, because apple trees produce apples. It's just, I think, followers of Christ follow Christ. And certainly there's, there's hard seasons and there's, there's things that we all go through and there's temptation and there's constant trusting and believing in Jesus and wanting him to conform our lives. But cavers cave 
Apple trees produce apples. Followers of Christ follow Christ. That's just what comes out of them. That's what John is writing about here. If we have Jesus inside of us, we're going to act differently. And Jesus inside of us forgives us of our sin. In fact, this passage has to be paralleled and thought about alongside of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. And we'll go there and I'll show you this passage. So everything I have said thus far is true. And this passage that we have read, because we're through this series on 1 John, we read this a few weeks ago, and now we're looking back at it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this, if we claim, so if someone claims they without sin, we deceive ourselves. So if someone says, I've never sinned, I don't sin, I don't even struggle, I'm not even tempted, never did it, never done it, never will. If someone claims to be without sin, we, what, do, what do we do? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is, what does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who does the cleansing? Well, it's God, it's him who does this. Christian life is not just polishing our lives. It's not behavior modification. It's from the inside out, staring and gazing at Jesus and allowing him to conform our lives. One more sentence here. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we've all sinned. Romans says we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if Christ is in us, well, then, then our lives will just change. And we'll see that. It'll be obvious. It'll be obvious to ourselves and people around us. Oh, of course, Christ is living in us because I'm living differently and there's fruit coming out of our lives. And it's, if it's inside of us, it will come out of us like a seed that is planted. It will grow. It will bear fruit. Lord willing, Lord inside of us, he the one doing this great work. Would you stand with me? The Band can come forward. Communion servers, you can come forward as well. We're gonna pray a prayer of confession together because that's the, um, what, what God is telling us to do. We, if we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us of our sins. And so would you say these words with me in unison? We're, we're not just gonna say them. We're going to pray these words, the, the prayer of confession. Let's pray these words together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Every Sunday, we celebrate the Lord's table. We come forward and all are invited, whether you don't need to be a member of this church, you just need to confess and believe that, that God is putting, has put a seed in your heart to follow him. He's standing at the door. And he's knocking and he's inviting you to come in, to come into his table. And you will receive the bread and the cup. You'll come forward through the center aisles. You'll, you'll walk down looking at the cross. And as you pass by the servers, they'll say Christ's body, blood for you. 
Would you receive the elements? Would you go back to your seat and would you just hold them? I'll come back up and we'll, we'll take the elements together. But these are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Would you come now?